Welcome to a very special edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. One of the things uh, I'm most looking forward to about this podcast, as you've seen with the wrestling talk, is to be able to discuss things that we normally will not be discussing on the Midday Show. If I spent more than five minutes talking about what we're about to talk about, A. Beninga would fall asleep, and B. Ernie would come through the door and freak out, and Chernoff would come. What do you do? The Nets! But today on the podcast, a very special Brooklyn Nets fan roundtable discussion. And I'm joined by two actual, real-life, breathing Net fans who work at this company, both for the CBS Sports Network, fellas that I speak to after every Net loss and every Net win, so they're true blue Net fans. We start with the producer of the Mark Malus's Taz Morning Foray, and that foray, whatever it's called, Mike Biseglia, how are you, Biseglia? I'm doing well. So we really talk more after losses than wins because the Nets had a couple more L's than W's. There this you year. go. That's very, very true. And this guy I kind of really recently met. He'd always been around the building and he looked like somebody I knew, but I really didn't know what he was. But now that he's a Net fan, I like him. And that's Billy. That's correct. And here's a fun fact. Yes. When I was just, when I was interning or interviewing to intern for the fan, you intern to interview for the fan? Yeah, you I, have to interview. Who I is inter- this? I, I don't. I don't remember you at all. I now. interviewed. Okay. To to intern for the fan. All right. Back in 2012. Wow. 2012. And I, oh my. God. And I did a school project on you. And I don't know if you were. <laughs> and Billy brought it in today to show you to really creep you out. You did a Here's a PowerPoint project? presentation. That's right. And I actually spoke to you about it. Really? That's right. Do you was still I, have this? Was I nice? I don't have it. Oh, oh you were very nice. Oh, good. Okay. Very nice. Good. That's probably why I thought you always looked familiar. That's probably why. Because I thought to myself, I know that kid from somewhere. But now that I know you were a Net fan, or when I found out you were a Net fan, let's say five, six months ago, now you're my boy. All right? Now That's you're right. on my top five list of people in this building. All right. I, I want to organize this in a very nice, complete way. And I want to start off by just looking at this season and simply saying, what was this season? Was it a good season? Was it a disappointing season? Are you ticked off? Are you happy? Because here's the bottom line. the Brooklyn, And I want you to chew on this. The Brooklyn Nets went 28-54. and 54. They had a three-game winning streak for the first time at the end of the season when our heads were everywhere else. 28-54. and 54. I'll start with you, Billy, since you did a school project on okay. me. How would you define this season? Frustrating. That's the word I'm going to use is frustrating because I said it before the season, and I'll even say it with confidence now. If everyone's healthy, we make the playoffs. Wait, wait, wait hold on. This team would have made the playoffs? This team with Jeremy Lin. That's a stretch. It's a big-time stretch. We would have been in the running for the eighth seed. Uh, this team is 12 games better in your mind. If D'Angelo Russell, who is very frustrating at times, you he want to was. use that word, they're a playoff team if he's healthy. And what, we're going to fictitiously think Jeremy Lin's a real basketball player now? They're close. They're very close. They're competitive. They would fight. But injuries derailed everything. No. Lo- you know what derailed everything? Losing close games derailed exactly. everything. How many times did this basketball team, and that's why that's a good word. I don't think frustrating is a bad word. I think you thinking this was a playoff team if they're healthy is delusional. But I think frustrating is a fair word. But that's based on the fact that they lost a lot of games that they were in, that they could have won, that they didn't execute down the stretch. And to blame that on an injury is weak. You sound like a Nick fan. Appropriate. This season felt appropriate. It was what I thought would happen. They won a couple more games. They had internal growth. They got a little bit better. They lost tough games. You were frustrated. I'll use that word there. But when it boils down to how the season ended, 28 wins, eight more wins, it just felt like what it was supposed to be from this team. 
And if anything, you should probably feel a little good about yourself that they actually did have internal growth and people grew and got better. Joe Harris got better. Alan Crabb towards the end of the season got a little bit, little bit better. Spencer Dinwiddie up and down season, but he improved. So I don't think to go as far as Billy, this was a playoff team, even if they're healthy, everybody's injured. John Wall missed half the season for the Wizards. That's true. You know, they're not a 42-win team. They're probably a 48-win team. Yeah. So it's all relative, and everybody goes through injuries. But I'll take away from this season, it's what I thought. They had eight more wins. They got a little bit better. And now next season, I'm going to have some more expectations where this team's fighting for a playoff spot. Not necessarily making it in, but I think next year, I want the Nets to be in the mix in the last two weeks of the year where, hey, you know what? Maybe they sneak in. I'm going to say something irrational, but you'll both agree with me. And anybody listening who's a real Net fan, not some basketball fan that's saying, oh, let me tune into a bunch of pathetic Net fans talk about their team. Any real Brooklyn Net fan is going to agree with this irrational statement. Going 0-4 against the Knicks ruined it. Oh, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Going 0-4 against those evil bastards from Madison Square Garden ruined it. They weren't even close games, too. No kidding. They got their asses kicked. Every, and we, we went to that one game, that's and it right. was a disaster. We that's had a the mandate, game, me that, and you. That's the game that um, uh, Porzingis goes that's out, right. and the Nets take a lead in the third quarter, and they still blow the game, or Ennis Cantor's going nuts. Michael yeah. Beasley's going crazy. That's a they big deal. They could have beat the, those Here, Knicks. Here's a point I want to make, though, about the four Nick losses. It's in their head. It was in their There's head. There's some to that. Maybe. It was in my head. Well, I th- it's I definitely think it in my, in my head. head. Oh, my. It's in all of our heads. I think that the Knicks posed matchup problems with them to begin with. But And I also think no player is going to admit this. When they're playing in their own building and Ugh. 70% of the people there are rooting for the other team, Depressing. that's mind-numbing. That's got to stop. Well, There's how's it going to fix how's that? Gonna stop? <laughs> what are we going to invent, Netflix? In uh, hopefully through this podcast, you can get attendance <laughs> yeah. to go up at the Barclays Center. The, the truth is... To improve by eight games is a positive. Second most just to the Sixers in terms of teams that uh, improved in win totals. No, absolutely. Now, granted, they're coming from 20 wins. I mean, they're coming from such a bad area. The thing that disappointed me about this season was D'Angelo Russell for this reason. Now, he missed a chunk of time, and he actually missed less time than I thought he would miss because when they first announced the surgery, I thought for a second we weren't going to see him again, and he came back. And I thought D'Angelo Russell shows you bursts of potential stardom. But his it's the two Ds, I call it, with D'Angelo. Decision-making and defense. And I'm not sure, as young as he is, he's ever going to be that guy that we dream he can be, that franchise guy. And, that, and I know it's only been one year, and it was his first year in this system, and he missed a bunch of time, but most teams in this league need a star player to build around, and he is the Nets' best hope at being that star player. And I got to tell you, after a year, I don't see it. You don't have to play defense to be a star in the NBA. <laughs> well, it, I, I, I'll, I'll, the, extre- the extreme example of everything broke right for D'Angelo Russell. He becomes Steve Nash. And I'm not saying he'll ever become that, but Nash, terrific shooter, improved his decision-making. Obviously a great assist guy. Well, he has to improve his decision-making. Right. And Fine I, about I, defense. The d- decision-making has to improve. And I thought it did towards the end of the season. I thought he became a little more unselfish, distributed the ball better, and I had a better feeling about Russell towards the end of the season. But it, but I think for Net fans, that's the what you want to hope for. He becomes some form of a Steve Nash where he's shooting threes, he's passing the ball around, not necessarily playing defense. So you need defense. him to be a Hall of Famer. Okay, great. I'm glad you set the bar low. Well, I'm not saying he can become <laughs> that, but the point is you can be. he can become a star. He is only 21 years old. I mean, he probably I had his first it. beer last year. I understand that he's very, very young. I'm just making a prognosis from watching him for 45 games. I'll he's take... an incredibly talented scorer. I don't think he's going to be a franchise player. I hope I'm wrong. 
I'm just telling you, based on the 45 games I watched, I don't see it. A Steve Nash type guy on this team would be fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, if we get a Hall of Famer here and there, that would be good. That would be nice. But if you think about it, all really the all it comes down to is one, like you said, his decision making and three point shooting. That's, That's all it. you need in today's Simple NBA. Simple as that. That's Simple it. as that. I, I think that he is going to be one of the keys moving forward if they're going to take that jump and be in a playoff team next year because. If we're going to go with, hey, they won 28 games, it was an eight-game improvement, and that's a positive, and we'll get to the individual players coming up and what they should do next coming up, well, then that has to continue next year. That means next year they have to win 35 games. Now, 35 games is not getting you into the playoffs, but what 35 games would do for you is it does make you more relevant. It does Mm. put you in that discussion so when you get to March, you're not thinking, I can't wait till this season is over. Because for the last three years, I have felt that way. I love watching Nets basketball, even in December and January when I know they're not going anywhere. But when you get to March and it's been months and months of garbage, I can't wait for it to end. I'm intrigued by this offseason, too, because in the past, uh, with the Sean Marks era, it's been take on bad contracts. Mm-hmm. Let's get young assets. They're really not in that mode anymore. No. I don't know. No. So now this offseason is going to be about internal growth again with some of their younger players that are starting to develop. And then... Let's see what happens in free agency because they're not taking on an Alan Crabb. They're not taking on a Mozgov. That's not happening anymore. So this will be the first year Sean Marks has to sort of change the way he views the offseason. I totally agree with you on that. And they're not in position to take on those bad contracts anymore. It's crazy to think that the Nets actually have cap room going into this offseason. They don't have as much cap room as they've had in the past. But it looks like they're going to have around $15 million to play with. And that's remarkable because they took on Alan Crabb. They took on Damari Carroll. They took on Timothy Moskov. At oh. least those other two guys contribute. I mean, Timothy Moskov contributes by just sitting there looking like a big doofus from Russia. He had a couple dunks early in the season Stop off that, that high had, pick and roll that was so yeah. beautifully done. He well had this done. one three-point shot in Orlando. <laughs> wow. Okay, now you know you're really listening to a Nets podcast when someone tells you about the Timothy Mozgov three in Orlando. Early in I don't even season. remember that. <laughs> I think I vaguely remember it. You know about the second game of the year? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, the second game of the season. Uh, Before we get to the offseason, the coach. Now, I've taken calls from the three or four net calls that we take, and they have been critical of this head coach. I think there's reason to be critical of some of the late game decisions, some of the rotations that he's used. But at the end of the day, they are still a team that, even though Billy disagrees, (laughs) Talent-wise, are not there yet, and the growth has been impressive that I'm still okay with him. Where do we stand with this coach, Billy? Cannot get rid of the coach. We This team cannot change I the coach. I didn't put again. that on the table. Right. I'm just merely saying, what do you think of the coach? I didn't even suggest they get rid See, of him. I, I think a lot of big-picture topics with this team. And part of my reasoning for the heavy optimism is because I remember being a kid. You know, you're young enough where you, you know, you still don't really know what's going on, but you're old enough to say, all right, this is my team. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting Jason Kidd and the magic of that season. Mm. And I say to myself before every net season, I say, all right, that can happen again. You know, it's it's, it's so funny because I know that has nothing to do with Kenny Atkinson, but I got to I got I got at least back up my well, my optimism. Your point is, and I have this with baseball every year and with football every year. Teams can have turnarounds very quickly when you least expect it. It happens all the time. In the NBA, turnarounds happen, but usually you can see it happening. Usually there's young talent. What happens in Philadelphia, you know, maybe them closing out the regular season the way they did is a surprise. Maybe them winning 50-plus games is a surprise, but you could see it was coming. The, The kid trade, looking back on it, you could see coming because 
okay, if you put a real point guard with the talent that he had on that roster, guys like Kenyon Martin, bringing in Richard Jefferson on that draft night trade, maybe you could have seen it, but it still was a shock because they went yeah. on was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that's not normal. No, not that normal That doesn't at all. happen. I'm trying to think of the last time an NBA team went from 26 wins to and it was 52 that year, doubled their total win total, and then went to the NBA Finals. That is more of a baseball, hockey, and NFL scenario. So I understand your optimism with that, but I don't think the Nets are making a trade this offseason and going to the NBA Finals unless that, unless somehow LeBron James <laughs> right. is like, you know what? I think I want to go to Brooklyn and help out the Nets. <laughs> no, right. Then maybe I'll feel that yeah. optimism. I'll, I'll buy that. Yes. And don't yeah. get me wrong. I, I, there's also a realism you know, within me, and I know that that's not going to happen. And I know even t- in today's NBA, it's even less likely to happen. But there's always a part of me that says this team could do something that no one thought they were going to well, do. Well, no, and, and I think, but I think that that bar just has to be lower because I You're think right. what that could be is the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. I think that's, hey, perfect world, everything works out. That's what could happen. That's not getting to the NBA finals, that's not no. even being a, you know, a force in the postseason. But that's probably, and that would be the thing, depending on what they do during this offseason, that would be the thing that you would dream about as a Net fan. But that's not 52 wins, the number one seed, and going to the NBA Finals. Correct. There's a far cry between those two things. But maybe my bar is a little bit too high when I say I thought this team was going to be hovering around the Yeah, but what about the coach? Let me get back to the coach. You trust him? Is Is this guy the head coach when they are a playoff team down the road? That's a good question. I don't know yet. It's so hard to gauge. I when don't know you, yet either. It, it, you're when right. you're watching these games and the Nets are throwing out guys that are 22, 23 years old, and, and you're just hoping your fingers crossed that they're competitive in the fourth quarter, which they did a lot of the times. And I was blind to even during these games think about decisions Kenny Atkinson was making. I'm just like, all right, we're not down 25. <laughs> we're in this game. We're going to actually play. We might compete. We might beat the Hornets on a Tuesday on the road. Right. I was actually, like, excited. Oh, me too. But when I, when I come back and think of it, I can't even – I'd have to really think of scenarios where I was like, Kenny, what are you doing? I, and I do remember a few during the year where I was thinking to myself, that didn't feel right. That was the wrong decision. But they were so bad for so long. And this year they did lose a lot of games, but they were in a lot of games. I was totally blind to Kenny. I, I have I have no idea. My my gut instinct is probably won't do a good enough job when it matters. But but I but that's that's well, just a gut instinct for whatever reason. I think you bring up a great point. When they're competing, because remember last year they got blown out a lot. There were a lot of games they were non-competitive in, and none of us blame Kenny Atkinson because we looked at the town on the roster. This year there was a raw excitement that the Nets played as many competitive games as anybody in the league, which is hard to believe. The problem is they lost a lot of them. Mm. Now, they lost a lot of them not squarely on Kenny Atkinson. They lost a lot of them because they put the basketball in the hands of Spencer Dinwiddie and basically said, you're our Michael Jordan. They did that a lot in the middle of the season. And I like Spencer. I think he's a good dude. I'm glad he's recovered from the ACL injury years ago. I'm glad he has a role in the NBA. But Spencer Dinwiddie is not good enough to be your Michael Jordan. And that's the way he was treated in the middle of the season. Basically, give him the basketball, clear out, let him make a play. And, oh, by the way, and I'm not bitching about it. I'm giving you facts because the two-minute report doesn't lie. The Nets got hosed a lot, too, mainly because mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie isn't Michael Jordan and is not going to get those calls in the final seconds of games. How do the Nets approach the offseason, then, when you have, in theory, a healthy Jeremy Lin coming back? We'll you get basically... to that. You calm down. Keep it in that there. That is burning right? in my brain. All the right. four guards. The... We're going to get to it. 
the coach. You still trust him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Next uh, year's he, a big year for him. Yeah, next year is a big year for him because they're going to be expected to win games that they lost last year, the ones you mentioned. There was a dozen games that went down to the last two minutes, and they blew them, and they lost. They have they to win, win those games, games next those year. Those games have to become Ws, and they have to be competing for an eight spot. He'll have a little more pressure on him next year. The, fir- the first year was, I mean, let's get to the arena, and that's a, that's a win. <laughs> right. This year, okay, we're building something. But next year, year three, they've got some of the guys in their system they believe in. He's going to have, maybe not, uh, he'll have Nets pressure on him from the, from well, the small fan base have, that is here. He'll have pressure on from right. us. Because right. that's the way I look at it. And that's the determination of Kenny Atkinson. I've definitely seen player development, no doubt. Not from Jaleel Okafor, but we've seen it from a lot of guys. Joe Harris, one who we'll get to in a bit. So that's a positive for Kenny Atkinson. That definitely is a positive. His players, for the most part, play for him. For the most part. Because I saw a lot of guys not playing that finale against the Celtics, but whatever. Throw it out, final game of the regular season, I guess. But next year, it's tough to put a win total on it. But if I had to, they have to be in the mid-30s. You can't be stagnant and be okay with this head coach. This year is the test. This is the year for him. The upcoming season. Yeah, the upcoming season. Right, the upcoming season. I like Kenny Atkinson. I think players do want to play for him. But I did see a lot of head-scratching moments through this season. And one big one, which I've talked to you a lot out there, is Jaleel Okafor. Mm. That whole situation, I don't understand how that was handled. I don't understand. Like I Look, if he doesn't fit the system, fine. But, you know, you're not going anywhere in March. Play him. Right. Play so you see what happens. That is a mystery. Though, well, I think the, the mystery is this, okay? It's not a mystery. Here's what I think the answer is. And can I use the Jets as an analogy, even though this is a net podcast? No. Well, I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Christian Hackenberg. Now, we haven't seen Christian Hackenberg. We saw a little bit of Jaleel Okafor, and there were moments from Okafor. You said, hey, guy's got a pretty good post game. Not too bad. All right, not terrible. I think the Jets behind the scenes saw what they needed to see from Christian Hackenberg. He cannot play. I think the Nets, through practice, through conditioning, have evaluated Jaleel Okafor, and they have determined that he is not a part of this team. And he will be gone at the end of the year. And guess what, Pasegla? Guess what? We will find out if they're right or wrong. Will he go to another team and develop? Maybe. Will he end up out of the league in the next two years? Maybe. We're going to find out. But that's what I think the answer is. To, with the Jets comparison, what Okafor was in the league and got minutes his rookie season, he and did. he performed. I'm not saying he was the best player in the league, but he got whatever it was, 14 points not a game. Not all comparisons can be 100% the same. But my point is, how did how does this guy go from an NBA rookie that could post a double-double mm-hmm. to I can't even get off the bench okay. on two different NBA answer. teams? Has the league moved that fast with how think, it's changed I in three years? I think it's a combination of two things. I think it's, yes, it's the movement of the league. It's the style of basketball that Kenny wants to play. I want to get to his style in a second. I think that's one. I think the other is that he put up those numbers on a garbage that's basketball true. team. And you always have to be careful, that's whether true. you're a Nick fan or a Net fan, with falling in love with guys who put numbers up on garbage teams. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. All right. no, but that point. team was terrible. But well, uh, through the process, now they're the best team in the league. So. He's not on this team next year. No. Really local for. You could say not. that about a lot of players, though. Who's not on this team? No, no, no. I mean, like, Who putting what? up putting up numbers on a bad team. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's how you – it's tough to evaluate what they actually are. So the Jets were just so good with their quarterbacks, they didn't need to – No, uh, no, no. Now I'm just messing. You can, you can try to go through that comparison all you want. <laughs> the point is, the simple point is, the Jets made an evaluation about Christian Hackenberg. 
clearly the Nets have told us they have made an evaluation of Jaleel Okafor. And the truth is, with both guys, we'll find out. Hackenberg, let's see if Hackenberg ends up anywhere else. Let's see if Okafor ends up anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know the answer. And you can't feel bad about it in, in the sense that they didn't they traded Trevor Booker. They, they didn't give anything away. So it's not like they mortgaged any a pick or anything. No so harm, you look no at foul. the trade, you know what? They got a second out it didn't, of it. It didn't work. Okay, we got a second-round pick. We got a shooting guard that stinks. We'll move on. They traded as if, if Stauskas is gone at the end of the year and Okafor is gone at the end of the year, they traded Booker for a second-round right. pick. Who's crying about that? And then today's NBA, that's a good deal. Sure, sure. But how about this, though? Yeah. The last game of the season, okay? Jaleel Okafor does not see the floor. Right. I don't. That I don't understand. Because I think they've evaluated that he's not a part of the future. You just, but just, but see the thing is though is that I, I have a hard. There's, there's a couple of guys on this roster that I have a hard time seeing coming back. Ooh, the free agents. Yeah. Because here, here are the free agents, and let's go through this because I think the offseason ends up becoming the most appealing thing to talk about with this team. You've got five free agents. You've got Joe Harris. Let's table him for a second because that's going to be a tough decision. You have Jaleel Okafor. He's gone. Gone. They're not bringing him back. I agree. Uh, Nick Stauskas. I, I maybe. I mean, if they don't bring Joe Harris back, maybe they try to get Stauskas right. back on a cheap deal. I can't say he's definitely gone, but I would lean towards he's gone. Agreed. Qu- Agreed. Quincy AC better be gone. He stinks. <laughs> he stinks. Quincy, if you're listening, I love you. You stink. Go play for another team. Am I wrong? Great Instagram page. Oh, great. Okay. Well, he's got a good Instagram page. Am I wrong about that? He, he was, you know, it's he funny. He stinks. He, he does stink. I agree. But okay. the, the 2017 season when they were te- when they won 17 games, I think it was, he, he showed you moments where it was like, oh, this guy could be all right. He stinks. I don't mind him on the bench. I, I, I love his three-point dances. No. I think it gives a lot of good camaraderie no. in the locker room. No, 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 Quincy, no. Quincy, I love you. Stay. No. We'll hang out later tonight. No, no. I, I, look, I, I agree. Just let him go. Let him go. I agree. Dante Cunningham. I think you keep him. Yeah, that's, I have no problem keeping him. Surprised. Yeah, I agree. No he surprised me a little bit. Look, you have to fill out a roster somehow. Now, <laughs> Joe Harris. Mm. I, I've said this on the air in the 30 seconds I've spent talking about the Nets, and I will freely admit this. We all stereotype. We shouldn't, but we do sometimes in sports and in the world. And I stereotype Joe Harris as just that typical white guy who can shoot. I was wrong. Joe Harris is such a good all-around basketball player. He can rebound. He can defend. He can create his own shot. And, oh, by the way, he hits over 40% from three. He had such a good year this year. He played. How many games did he play? 75, 78 games? He basically played every game. So if you would have asked me a few months ago, what are you doing with Joe Harris? I'd say, eh, eh, I don't know. He was so good this year. I'm bringing him back. He's gonna get paid. Okay. Well, you got to pay good basketball. Oh, I players. agree. But he 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 played himself into an NBA contract. I mean, this is a guy in Cleveland a few years ago who was all wouldn't get off the bench. You'd think he'd be somewhere else, but he played so well. He's gonna make a lot of money. He should. And it, hopefully, it's with the Nets. He should. I'm I'm in shock when I see Joe play because I worked at the University of Virginia uh, for six years before I moved back to New Jersey, and Joe was four years. Well, I was there. So I saw the progression of his career at UVA. And when I saw him leave that final year, I said, all right, he had a nice college career. That was good. Maybe he'll get picked up or drafted in the NBA, and we'll see him in summer leagues. And I'll be like, I remember that guy. I'm blown away with the progress that he has made. And that's it's a credit. unbelievable. That's a credit to the coaching staff. It, it really when is. When we talk about that, that's a huge credit to the coaching staff. Would you bring Joe Harris back? 100%. 100%. How much cap space did you say we have? $15 million? About $15 million, yeah. All right. What do you think is a reasonable number?
to bring him back. Just let's just say let's say within reason, because I know I know other teams are going to be interested in him. There's going to be there might there might even be a bidding war. That's there how could be. There could there might even be. Bidding They'll have war. loyalty to Brooklyn because they believed in him, and I, and I think he. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if think he'll enjoy that. I, I think. Yeah, I think true. they will. I mean, if you're Joe Harris, I can't assume he's having a loyalty to anything other than two important aspects: money and winning. The winning part's going to be tough here. Now, the money part may be there, but a part of the problem with letting Joe Harris leave, if that's what they decided to do, is they developed him, and they developed him to a really good basketball player. If you let him go, you end up with nothing for that development. Right. It, now, if they would have traded him before the deadline, that's a different story. Who knows what you get? I think that's the big discussion. Well, what did you get back? That's how you determine if it was worth it. But to develop a kid like that and then just have him go somewhere else for nothing is sort of depressing. Yeah, you set the tone. Depressing. You set the tone for what the Brooklyn Nets organization will be doing moving forward. Well, right. be the Miami Marlins? Well, well, not to that extreme. No, but, but I'm just in this right. instance. You know, yeah. like let's say Karis LeVert develops four or five years, and now he's a free agent. It's like, okay, we have to offer him some serious cash. See you later. Well, what was the point? I think the thing, because Rondé is a good example of this. Rondé's eligible for an extension uh, right now, I think, and it goes up until the start of the year. When you have control over a guy like that, it's very easy to extend them. It benefits them. It benefits you. Harris was a very different situation. It's kind of like Spencer Dinwiddie, which they're going to have to answer that question a year from now. So it's different. They're in mu- they have much more power when it comes to Levert and Jefferson and Allen down the road in keeping them long-term. But it would just be very tough to lose Joe Harris, not only because he's a good basketball player, but you feel as if you developed him yeah. and you didn't get anything for him. Exactly. He, he was. It would be tough to see him in a different uniform. So we're all in favor of bringing him back. Oh, yeah. No, the, the, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the, the 15 million. Well, what is, I, what is Joe Harris's? What kind of contract is he going know. to get? I don't know. It's, it's all so about hard to determine. Yeah, that's. And, and contracts now are so inflated and bloated. Is eight to ten million dollars a year a a high number for Joe Harris? No. A low number. It's a low number. Uh, when you look scary. around the league, well, when you have Mozgov. <laughs> wow, well, I mean, he's a he's a terrible example because he's awful at basketball. Oh. But look at the money Alan Crabb is making, partially because the Nets made that offer sheet offer, or look at the money that JJ Redick got for a year. Guys get paid, so I don't know what the number is. It's a great question. I don't know what it is, so I'm more looking at the idea of keeping him to not keeping him. And how that would be as a net fan after you watch the guy actually develop into a competent basketball player. And on the open market, is there anybody as good as Joe Harris the Nets are realistically going to bring in? Probably not. Probably not. And it leads to this question, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie. Because mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie is due next year to make very little money. About $1.6, $1.7 million, And then he, too, will be a free agent. You don't want to end up in the situation we're talking about right now. Which means, if you're going to trade Spencer Dinwiddie, if you don't see him as part of the long-term future, the time to trade him is now. Well, not right now, but you know what I mean, during this offseason. That's the time to do it. I don't think it's before the trade deadline next year. And then if he gets to free agency, you better be keeping him or else you wasted a very valuable asset. So what do you do with Spencer Denwood? I've always said that once Russell came back from his injury, you, we saw a real decline in Denwood. Yeah. Uh, no, no doubt. So... No doubt. Here's what I would do. I would try to package him with whatever picks we have Mm -hmm. now and try to move up in the draft. That's what you try to do. I think that is the most likeliest scenario to the point where I would say as we sit here today recording this, if I had to predict what will happen, that's what will happen. That they will take the Raptor pick because they have three picks. They have the Raptor pick at 29. 
28, 29, wherever it is. And then they have two second-round picks, which will probably fall, I think, 40 and 45. Not as valuable. I think they're going to take the first-round pick with Spencer Dinwiddie and use it to move up. And I'll tell you what, too. Teams are going to be calling about DeMar Carroll. Sure. He could help. Expiring contract at the end of next year. Correct. He could help a lot of teams. So, I don't know. I, I, Where are we at now? 26, 27 is the pick? Twenty. I think it's 28 or 29. All right, 28 or 29. We could get up to... Well, well, a couple of things. First of all, as far as Carroll's concerned, if you want the Nets to be a playoff team next year, if that's really your goal, you're not trading Damari Carroll. Damari Carroll is the leader of this team. Damari Carroll had an excellent season this past year. He's without question the leader of this basketball team. If you are still in asset-collecting mode, which you can be, because they're finally going to have their own first-round pick next year. We've gotten through this entire podcast without mentioning you-know-who for the way he hosed this franchise. But starting next year... (laughs) They're going to have their own pick again. If you are still looking at it as forget the playoffs, it's all about collecting assets, then fine, trade Damari Carroll. But if your vision is to compete for a playoff spot next year, you're not trading Damari And Damari's a guy that you could potentially see being dealt at the trade deadline for next season. A team that needs a veteran, somebody that can shoot three-pointers, play solid defense. I could see Carroll being valuable to trade at the deadline, unlike Dinwiddie, who we referenced. And... In retrospect, I was wrong when I saw the trade that was offered for Dinwiddie for the Cavs' first-round pick. I was very happy that they didn't make the trade. In retrospect, it would have it would have been a good deal. I wish they did it. Well, I'm I'm not saying I wish we had whatever. What is Cleveland? If the twenty third, twenty three, is that where? If I at? said if I said to you right yeah. now, you could have the twenty third pick and the twenty eighth pick, or whatever, or you could have the twenty eighth pick and Dinwiddie. I wish we had the well, pick because of what you can then package with those two. I, I maybe you move I into the teens. I don't know that yet, and here's why we don't know. If the plan would be to take Dinwiddie and the Raptor pick to move up, I don't know yet if that is less valuable than the Raptor pick and the Cleveland pick. I think picks are always more valuable because of the excitement of what it could I be. I understand that, but Dinwiddie is a young point guard on an incredibly cheap contract. Depending on the team, that may serve as more valuable than just a draft pick. You may be right. I don't know. The point is, I think the jury is still out on what's more valuable for Marks to use right around the draft. Spencer Dinwiddie or that 23-24 pick that Cleveland had. You got upset when I brought it up earlier, but I said before, Jeremy Lin coming back is healthy. Now you have four guards on the roster, four point guard, shooting guard, combo types. What do they do? Levert, Russell, well, they, the two I mentioned. they have to play Jeremy Lin because no, they have to get his value up so they can trade his ass. I hate to be blunt. That's the reality. You know, I don't uh, – I'm not a big Jeremy Lin fan. Who is? Well, there's a lot of Nick no fans. No Net fan is a Jeremy Lin fan. And I feel bad that he's been hurt, but he's come here for two years and he's barely played. How many games total has it been? Well, he played – in that first year, he probably played close to 17 or 18 <laughs> games, <laughs> which is a lot. Last year, he played one game. I mean, it was opening night. Ugh. How much money has he made off the net? A lot. There's no Net fan who li- – no offense to him. I know he's not getting hurt on purpose, but as fans – there aren't Ned fans who love Jeremy Lin. How could you? I still have a little belief in Jeremy Lin. I actually, I actually could see him performing well. By the way, I want to correct no, myself. He played yeah. 36 games. Was that many? Yeah. To be honest with you, how many? Yeah. I'm so bitter 
still about the Linsanity thing. <laughs> I can't, like, I know he's on, he's, we- like, we're rooting for laundry here, right? We're sure. rooting for whoever wears his name, and I get that. So if Jeremy Lin's on the team, I'm going to root for him. But I remember watching the Linsanity game. Oh, it was awful. I can't. It was awful. I can't, Oh, that, that doesn't bother me. It bothers me. Just win. Just get out there and win games. I, I don't even think about that. It's, it, it's on my mind. You know what it the thing is? is? It, it was on my mind. It's been so long now. Exa- yeah, I mean, right. It's six years ago. I know. Like, think about how long ago that was. And, and also think about this. And this is kind of crazy. He has now played, even though he's been here for two years, more games as a net than an Nick. There you go. Think about that. Those Nick games may have been more memorable. Oh, slightly. A little bit. Yeah. I'll never forget how it started. I was at the Super Bowl. Uh, it was January of 2012 or February of 2012. And I was watching that game in the hotel room while Ernie and Joe were actually having a good time. And I'm such a loser. I need to watch <laughs> Nets Knicks. And I'm watching Jeremy Lin become Superman. Oh. Very depressing. Very, very depressing. But the point is with Lin, he opted into the final year of his deal. You have to play him. You have to hope he's effective because, A, he can help you win. Because when he played in 2017, the Nets were a better basketball team when he was on the floor. So they need him to be healthy. And then if he's healthy, A, you have a chance to win games. And then B, you trade him at the deadline to get whatever you can get back. Well, that's what I, even though I said I'm not a big Jeremy Lin fan and I'm not, he still could provide. That, that's why I said if he was fully healthy this year, he could have provided enough leadership to maybe get this team on, you know, keep them in the right direction. All right. Uh, I want to get to something very, very important. And that is. This offseason is very different than last offseason. The last few offseasons have been about collecting assets, taking on bad contracts. They're not going to do that. I think they're going to try to do something big. Hmm. Now, there is something out. Yes, there is something out there that would be a home run. Not only would it be a home run for the Yes Network, because it would be a great marketing campaign, but this is the perfect fit for the Nets, though I do think it is a long shot. Well, Aaron Judge? <laughs> Very close. I haven't been. Very Aaron close. Gordon. Aaron Gordon. There you go. Aaron Gordon at See, 23 as a stretch he's four. He's 23. 23. How is that possible? Because he's young. Because he was born 23 years ago, Biseglia. No, good answer. As a stretch four who's gotten better and better. As a guy who looks just like Aaron Judge. Hence the Yes Network enjoying this. That, to me, is the best. The, LeBron's the best case scenario. But the sort of realistic best-case scenario, and that's bringing in Aaron Gordon because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, nice player, needs to develop his three-point shot a little bit more, but we saw his offensive game improve this year, which I like. A lot, absolutely. Mm. They need a real stretch for the guy is Aaron Gordon. He would fit perfectly in the system. Of course he would. Perfect. Of course he would. It's a perfect fit. It is a perfect fit. There's not many... How many times you can say that with a Brooklyn Nets yeah. team? Hey, I mean, obviously anybody's a perfect fit, but it does make a lot of sense. So is he a free agent? I don't know if the well, top here's of my head. the problem. What's the deal? All right, here it's, it is. Oh no, he's a restricted, and we know that Nets. Oh, uh, we played this game. Well, play it again. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they because might. you know why you play it again? Because even though it's very likely that the Magic will match, I don't know for sure. I don't know either. I don't know for sure because where team. are they? Oh, they're a very weird team. That's a weird team. They're they gonna might hire, not. They're going to hire a brand-new head coach. They may want to just completely start over. I they th- might. You never know. I wouldn't be shocked if Orlando said, you know what? Thank you. Goodbye. We're moving on. We don't want to put that kind of money in the guy. Let's go into full rebuild mode part two. Maybe they say, you know what? Let, let's move and, on. And, I wouldn't be shocked. And Marks would probably have to get creative to create more cap space to offer such a lucrative, restricted contract offered him offer sheet 
that poison pills the daylights out of the magic. So I'm not sure how he does that. We have to get a cap expert on to figure that out. But that's the guy. I'm telling that is the you give me all the other guys, your son Ilyasova, Derek Favors, whatever free agent oh. you want. <laughs> Derek Favors. Derek Favors is a possibility. It's oh. only twenty seven. That's depressing to me. Oh, me too. <laughs> because it just gets full circle of, <laughs> of all the crap that happens. And they're still paying. And we're, yeah, they're still after here. all no, of this, we end up with Derek Favors. Right. <laughs> after after all all this. right. They're right back where they started. What a horrible no Derek idea. Favors. Sorry. And can we get the picks back, too? And he, <laughs> doesn't, he is a nice bruiser rebounder, but he doesn't fit in the three-point Actually, scheme. to your point, can we get the picks back was your question. One of the picks right. is a free agent this year as well, and his name is Ennis Cantor. That was the net pick. Yes. So if you want the pick back, Billy, there you go. Take you, out his candle. You haven't mentioned the one net who's the brightest player on the team. Who's that? Jared Allen. Oh, Jared Allen, absolutely. And, you know, I got to tell you, and that's a great point. If you said to me, and we'll try to wrap it up because I don't know how long we should go talking net basketball. You I don't to do know your real show too, right? I, yeah, we're recording this before our real show you on just Friday. just push that back. They'll understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, if you had to pick the biggest positive from this past season, I would have said Dinwiddie for a while. It turned out not to be the case because Dinwiddie and Russell did not mesh as well. Dinwiddie really struggled down the stretch. He shot under 40% from the field. It was the development of Jared Allen, who's only 19 years old. And if you were redrafting this past draft, put it this way, Jared Allen is not drafted where he was drafted, which Mm -mm. shows you how well he played in his first year. Better rookie year than the other kid in New York. I think the Knicks rather have Jared Allen. Well, this is what we do, by the way, for anyone listening who's not a Net fan. This is what we always compare ourselves to the Knicks, right? no myself. matter what. So we say, even Jared, if we don't want to, even if right, I say Couldn't Jared Allen. Really I had to good, take a dig. Right, it felt good. It makes me feel better about myself. Instead of saying anything positive about Jared Allen, you go right to. Well, fine. I'll he's say better than Nilla Keita. I'll say something positive about him. Yeah, you're right. His offensive game exploded in the second half. I think it was a huge surprise to everybody. He had these little spin moves. It was more than just dunking and blocking shots. He went through a little rookie wall, uh, maybe 85% through the season, but he broke through, and he became a nice little NBA player, only 19 years old. So it's exciting to think, let's say in five years from now, what kind of player Jared Allen is. Maybe he's a real center in the NBA that has developed a three-point shot. You you know that's going to be worked if on this offseason. That's, that's coming next. Jared Allen makes you feel excited as a Nets fan. He's the one guy of the whole roster I feel like is – the most untouchable. Now let's break it down. So you got Jared Allen, mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell, yep. Karis Levert. Yep. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw in Ronda Hollis Jefferson yet, but if you add Aaron Gordon oh, to that, that's a that could be a playoff. That's talking. a playoff team. Yeah. That's a playoff. That team. could be a playoff team. I I would not rule <laughs> out. I would not rule out the net shopping Ronda Hollis Jefferson. That's I agree. not that's rule why that out. That, right. But what I love, marks Yes, yes, he was. And it was a good pick by uh, the man who will not be named. Now, that was a pretty good pick. Turned Thaddeus Young into him. That's and I not love bad. Ronde. No, I do too. It's that this is an evolving basketball team. But what I love about this team, this is the compliment to Kenny Atkinson, and maybe that's why when we began this podcast by talking about what was this season, and we both said frustrating, disappointing, swept by the Knicks, all that, you saw a lot of guys get better. You saw Ronde clearly get better offensively. During the middle of the year when Levert was asked to play point guard, him and Jared Allen forming this great chemistry, he got better. Jared Allen, as a rookie, can't get better from what, but was better than we thought. Dinwiddie got better. You saw a lot of guys get better, and that was certainly one of the positives from this past season. All in all, I feel like I'll take what we had this year, but next year I'm going to have some serious expectations for this team to be a playoff team. And that's what I want to see and from see, the Nets. And see, here's my problem. My bar is always a little bit higher than the regular Net fan, so 
Clearly, yeah. <laughs> you think like, they could be a championship team with uh, with an MVP with an MVP candidate? I got Spencer stay, Dinwiddie. Right? I have to stay positive with this team. Hey, you got to. to. Yeah, in life, you have to try to stay because positive. The other eight Nets fans, real Nets fans that are that will listen to this podcast, are probably negative. I got to be the positive one. Billy did an excellent job, Basegli. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on our very first and hopefully not last mm. Brooklyn Nets fan roundtable discussion. This has been the Evan Roberts podcast. We'll see you next time.